morning, everyone. Thanks, Tim. Didn't Tim do a great job? He said to us this morning it was only the third time he'd done it, so, you know, well done, mate. Got to think on the spot. Hey, well, well done. How's everyone doing? Oh, wow. Pastor Rodney's the only one that's feeling good. Anyone else feeling good? No? No? Anyone got a smile for us at least? Kyle's got a big smile. Anyone else? How that, that rhymed, eh? Very good. Um, just a couple of things just before we get into the word, if that's okay. Uh, firstly, let me commend, as, as uh, pastor of the church, let me commend to you the, uh, the visiting ministry that we've got coming, Pastor Brett Lynn there and his wife, uh, Scotty. Uh, they are authentic uh, people who love Jesus and love the calling that God has for their life in equipping the church to be able to pray for the sick and see uh, the sick healed. Uh, you, you know you don't have to go to a man anymore. Do you know that? No? You don't have to go to a particularly gifted man anymore. Jesus empowers his church to do the works of the mission, which is to see the ministry of the kingdom of God expand. So we bring in a man, for example, to be able to train and equip and release something of the Holy Spirit into the house so that the church is able to see the ministry of healing continue on. So sometimes it's actually a battle of our mind that we need to break down what we think about these things and that's why we, able, we need people to come in and encourage. The second thing around bringing in ministries like this is to challenge the church to stand up and to rise up and to say, you know what, it's my job to get out and evangelize the community. That's a scary word, isn't it? Who's scared by that word, evangelize? Anyone? Yep. Jamie, I don't think you are, but anyway. Um, in other words, let me put it in a real way for you to understand. It's your job as the church of Christ to share the good news with people in the community. Is Jesus good news? Is Jesus good news? Then, of course, it's really good for us to be able to share the good news about Jesus. Jesus not only came to this earth, he saved us and delivered us from the trials of this earth. Do you know that? And we get the privilege of being able to share that with many people. So this year we've decided not to give you little flyers to hand out to people because it's really easy to go and say, here you go, come to this event and run away, isn't it? Or to go and stick it on someone's post box or on someone's windscreen. That's a really easy thing to do. What's not easy is actually to go up to someone and say, hey, I go to church and this week we've got someone coming and I notice that you're not well, would you like to come? We make that not easy, but it's just as easy as looking at your neighbour right now and say, will you come to church with me next week? Everyone do that. Will you come to church with me next week? Okay, that's easy. Was that easy? Who, who struggled to say that? No one, right, okay, no one struggled to say that, which means if you can say that in church, you can say that out there at home, yeah? So then the next step is to actually say, I'll pick you up Saturday night or Saturday morning or Sunday night, and you bring them to church. It's your responsibility. We get to partner with the Holy Spirit in doing that. Is that right? So it's the, the reason we do these sorts of things is not to glorify a man, it's to glorify Jesus and to partake and to participate in the things that God's doing. Can we do that, church? Awesome. And I just sense there's a bit of freedom here at the moment. 
and uh, and that's good. I really appreciated that word that um, that Mum shared this morning. And and I don't know if anyone saw, but she came over and told me, and just said, you know, I've got this word. And the beauty of doing that is that she was able to say, I was able to say to her, yes, you can share that word, and there's a time for you to do that. She didn't have to feel confused of when do I do this? I've got this burden of God to be able to share something, and we made time for the prophetic word to come forth. Is that right? But I just sense the freedom in the spirit at the moment. And while I was here uh, on this side during the worship, my heart was drawn for one of our dear ladies, Margaret. Hi, Marg. How are you? I, I was just, I don't know, you guys didn't get the perspective that I had sitting over here this morning. But when I was sitting and you guys were all singing, I was just looking around and my heart was drawn to this beautiful woman. My heart, and it was in the song. Does anyone remember we were singing Amazing Grace? Margaret, you were singing Amazing Grace, and I, I couldn't hear you, but I could see the joy on your, on your lips and on your face. And, and the Lord was drawn to that. And, and for me, it's what confirmed the word that mum brought about coming as a child. There's something that is so special when we sing to Jesus from the beauty of our heart. And I just want to honor you, Margaret, this morning. Just say thank you for for being open in worship to Jesus today. And he's smiling on you right now. Can, can I just get a couple of people, a couple of ladies, just to just lay their hands on Margaret. Is that okay? A couple of ladies, quickly. Don't, let's not take too much time. Just lay your hands on Margaret. Is that okay, Marg? They just put their hands on you. I'm going to pray for you. Church, let's just reach out for our, our dear Margaret. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful woman. She's a, been a witness for you her entire life. And we just pray, Lord, as her... As, as she is aging, Lord, that you see her heart and it brings delight to your heart. That you see her smile and it brings delight to the heart of the Father. You see the joy that is there and you say, oh, I put that joy there. Lord, we pray today that you would honor her. That you would honor her with strength. That you would, that you would return to her what the years have stolen away from her. Lord, that you would even restore her mind. Father, we pray a blessing upon her right now, and we release this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, and amen. You know, it's really good to pray for one another, church, isn't it? Amen? And take the opportunity to as you can. And, and God bless you, Margaret. We thank you, and we thank you for your openness in that this morning. So, guys, I, I got this word on my heart this morning, and I want to share it with you. It's, it's supposed to be a really short word. But you know what happens when you get up here and you start sharing. The Holy Spirit starts highlighting and prompting things. And I know this word's going to come out a lot differently in this service than what it did in the first service. In the first service, this, this kind of came out a little bit like I was sticking a rocket up underneath someone's seat. I don't know why it felt like that. And I just checked with Pastor Jamie before and I said, Hey, mate, was I, did I overstep a line or anything like that? And he said, what I heard was really good it was just a few truth bombs and and I thought, well okay I don't mind dropping truth bombs on people who likes receiving a truth bomb every now and then okay very good that's a great thing but who likes getting a rocket put up under their seat anyone all right no no you don't all right Jamie you're a little bit unique but you know what sometimes we need a rocket just set behind us to fire us up and to say you know what there's something about the purpose that I need to be involved in so I've written this a message based upon some reflections of a number of years ago in my devotional time. And, and like I said, it's supposed to come out as an encouragement, but yet it, it seemed to have come out really strong. So for today, if it's going to come out really strong for you, maybe the Holy Spirit's just prompting something in your heart. Is that okay? 
that the Holy Spirit is just highlighting something in your heart in this message today. So I thought, let's start this message today and be the church. Let's stand up and read the creed, the Apostles' Creed together. Can we do that? Shake a leg. Who's read the Apostles' Creed in, in church before? Anyone? Tim, you didn't read it with me this morning? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, right. That's fine. Okay. So uh, let's stand up and read together the Apostles' Creed. And, and see what we believe as a church or as a Christian person. So on three, one, two, three. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead and buried he descended into hell the third day he rose again from the dead he ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty from thence the shall come to judge the quick and the dead I believe in the Holy Ghost the Holy Catholic Church the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You may take your seat. So obviously that's a small C Catholic, that's the church universal, not the the Catholic holy church, is that right? So, you know, we, we just make that qualification for you, for those of you that may seem a little bit confused there. But it's really good sometimes to go through what we believe, is that right? Now, I could go through our tenets of faith. I could go through the things that we believe as a church. But what I felt that I needed to do today was just bring a reflection of what the Bible might say to us in its short time. But as we introduce this, let me just talk about the uniqueness of the church. The church at its inception was controversial. Do you know that? It was a controversial thing. From the day of Pentecost, where 3,000 men were born again until now, we see in this uh, controversial birthing the creativeness of God and how his people express their gratitude toward him. The, the, The church is not just controversial. The church is unique in its expression. And every church is very, very different in the uniqueness of God's expression. Has anyone ever found someone exactly like them? Show me your hands if you've ever found someone that's exactly like you. No. Okay, so we can easily say there's no one like you. You're unique that God broke the mold after you were born and there's no one ever before you and no one ever after you like you. Well, if God is that creative when it comes to human beings, then then God can definitely be that creative when it comes to the church globally, can't he? He can be that creative that every church shouldn't look like each other. So just look, look at a couple of churches for a moment. Initially, the church was birthed in this controversy where we see 120 people praying in the upper room and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is poured upon them. They They are touched with tongues of fire, like they saw tongues of fire over their head. They spill out onto the street. People think that they are drunk at 9am in the morning, which means that they're doing some pretty hectic stuff when it comes to the expressions of the Holy Spirit in their life. They're speaking in languages they don't understand. They never learnt. 
They don't know how to speak it. And yet there's some controversial things going on and accusations that they're not living according to the things of the day. They're drunkards. But that's not the reality. It was the Holy Spirit had come upon them and birthed the church in Jesus Christ's name. So from 120, that day, Peter stands up doing exactly what I'm doing today and he's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 men, the Bible tells us in Acts, that 3,000 men came to know Jesus that day, every one of them being baptized into the church. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That would have been a huge day. So automatically, the church goes from 120 to 3,120, and that's without the women and children. So we see at the very birth of the church something that's going to offend some people in this room. The church was birthed as a mega church. Oh, no. A mega church? What? Who hates mega church? Oh, no, don't show your hands for that one. Like mega churches, right? Oh, but church should be 50 people. We should know everyone and we should be in community. Rubbish. I don't think they knew everybody in the first church. There's no way humanly possible that they could have known everyone in that 3,000 men. But very quickly, God's not done. Day after day after day, God adds to their number those who are being saved. And very quickly, the church becomes 5,000 in Jerusalem, 7,000, 10,000. It's becoming huge. And through persecution, the message goes beyond there and we start to see the gospel being spread from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria. And thank God to the ends of the earth because even down under has got the gospel. Amen? So when we start to think about it that way, all of a sudden, the church goes from mega church to small churches and communities. In Acts, it teaches us that, um, that the apostles, Paul in particular, would go, he would go to the synagogues first. And where there was no synagogue, he would go down to the river or go down to the lake and he would find the Jewish people and share the gospel with them. And 12, 10 or 12 people would come to know the faith and then he'd begin to teach them and the church would begin to grow and then eventually the church would have an impact in this community. It's not about the size of the church, it's about what the message of the church is. Is that right? So we start to see, we've got the mega churches in Jerusalem straight away. We've got mega churches around the globe today. We've got churches that are um, hundreds of thousands of members, huge churches. We've got global movements under their own brand. Say, for example, Hillsong. Oh, I just touched someone else's little touchy-feely box. Some people don't like Hillsong. Well, you know what? Get over that. It's Jesus' church, right? So then we've got mega churches. We've got churches like um, one that comes to mind is Craig Groeschel's church in, in America called Life Church. It's an amazing church. It's planting churches and smashing uh, records like you wouldn't believe, but it's also impacting other nations. It's planting churches in other nations. Amazing things. Things that are happening. It's doing so. When you, but then let's go on the other side from the mega. All of a sudden, the church also looks like persecution. Look at the church in... China, people that are meeting illegally underground, you know, from 10 people to thousands of people meeting underground and they're in persecution. The the church looks like something that's unique. We've gone from mega to doing something that's illegal to the ways of the world. What about a church that meets in a pub? Hmm. There are churches that meet in pubs, people. Does that offend some form of something here? Like the church can rent the pub 
and meet in the pub and glorify Jesus. And in the hope of that is to see the publican come to know Christ. Like when the revival in Wales happened, what happened? The pubs closed down because they all came to Christ. Right? So the church is... I'm not trying to offend you, but I'm trying to offend something that's become instilled within us, that the church looks like this. This is not the church. You are the church. The church, I can pinch the church. I can walk around and pinch every one of your cheeks and say, you are the church. It's not mega. It's not mini. It's not persecuted. It's all of those things. We're part of the global movement that's called Jesus Church. Is that right? And then, then, then there's the church that's planting at the moment. Some churches plant and they send out a pastor and his wife and, or, or a pastor and her husband and they plant a church and, and, and they try and gather people around and, and, and you know, they grow to 10 and 20 and all of a sudden 30. That's a miracle, isn't it? And it should be celebrated. There's no evangelism like church planting people, right? You want to evangelize a city, you plant a church. It's the best way to do it providing that the church is about the church and not about itself. Right? So think about it, and then we go from 20 or 30, all of a sudden, the average size church in Australia is about 85 people, 85 adults. That's the average size church in Australia. But there are churches that are breaking these molds. About 15% of churches um, are around the 200 mark, 215 mark, 230 mark. There's 200 barrier, there's a 400 barrier, there's a 600 barrier. There's barriers to growth and mindsets in church. So you've got to attack the mindset sometimes of what church is. Not to offend, but to actually shake us up to see that the church is very different. I'm taking too long on this one point. The church has become a place where, if we're honest in the Western world, it's about comparison. Right? There's probably one person sitting in the room. I'm not, I don't know who. I'm just saying it, it's more than likely there's one person in the room that's considered or is considering leaving and going to another church because the grass looks greener over there. That's just the common thing of it. But there's no greener grass than the field that Jesus has placed you in as your good shepherd. So that's all a delusion from the enemy. Ultimately, if there's something that's not working out for you in the church, it comes down to one or two things. Either you've got a stubborn leader or you've got a stubborn self. It's one or the other. And if you let go of the stubborn self... The stubborn leader generally opens the door and lets you grow into who you're meant to be in the Lord. I've found that to be the case. I've been in this church for 20 years and I was a stubborn self for a very long time. And I thought I was serving God, but ultimately when I got over myself, more and more and more doors opened. So we've got to un- unpack some of this stuff. But ultimately, I'm not picking on the fact that, that we do the comparison because that's actually a human thing. Humans go through this stuff, okay? It's, it's just part of our, our sin or, or flesh nature. But firstly, we've got to settle the issue that I'm not of the flesh nature anymore. I'm a son or a daughter of Jesus. And, and Micah said it the best last week when he said, your spirit first, not mind first or body first. So when we settle the issue 
of whose we are, we can settle the issue of being comparative in the ways that we do things. And this is kind of what Paul says to us as we move into today's message, which is the marks of a Christian. I want to talk about these three things today. The marks of a Christian, and it comes from a point of view of greetings from Ephesians. Everyone say greeting. Some people say greeting better than others. I always have loved it when someone stands up. I think, uh, just a little segue, um, Ari Tomodi. Everyone remembers Ari? He comes up and he goes, Greetings! In the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just like, oh, that just hits me. But this is a greeting from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. Okay? We've got this amazing letter that's been put into the book of the Bible, as a book of the Bible, not written just for the Bible. It's been written to a church from the Apostle Paul. It's written to a church that didn't need correction at the time. Do you know that? It's a beautiful letter. There's no correction in it, but there's just encouragement to live for Jesus. So Paul is sitting in jail and a friend of his from from Ephesus comes. His name is Tychicus. And while he was there, Paul pens the letter to the Ephesian church. Paul Paul pens a lot of letters while he's in jail at at, um, Rome. And uh, one of them is like the, the letter to the Galatians where he's quite really strong about breaking down mindsets of, of entering back into the old covenant, coming back under the curse, things like that. Paul, Paul is just writing something that is a letter of beauty for us to behold. In the letter of the Ephesians, he's uh, outlining the beauty and benefits of those who are in Christ. He's the way that we are to live in this world which is to, be, to live separated from sin, and how we are to live in unity with one another. Now, that sounds really encouraging, doesn't it? Just like I'm saying to you, there's nothing greener outside. Ultimately, when you live in unity, you're able to find the green pastures that Jesus puts us in. So this letter is a glorious blessing uh, bestowed upon this church. And these letters, when they were written, they weren't just for the one church were they often what would happen was uh, the the person that's been entrusted to read the letter would turn up at church and they would have their normal structure and then he would spend the time reading that letter to the church that sounds amazing doesn't it if you hadn't heard that word before that would be amazing see paul he plants the church of ephesus and he goes back and then on the next missions, missionary journey, he moves back to Ephesus and he lives there for three years teaching them as their leader. So Paul is injecting himself in this place, which means he's connected. He's got connections with these people. And it's not just word connection, it's a heart-to-heart connection. Paul knows these people intimately as their leader. And what we find is that Tychicus reads the letter to the church and then they would share that letter with other churches around them. And that's how the word of God was spread in those times. That that word would go and they would dig into it and and, and they they would find the truths in there and they would spend the time unpacking what the apostle was teaching them. 
Who wants me to sit here today and read to you the whole book of Ephesians? We've got one. You sat in the first service, so you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Anyone else, John? You sat in the first service too. Like, who wants to hear me read the full six chapters of Ephesians to you today? All right, I've got a couple of people say, where you go. Most of you, by the time I got to Ephesians chapter 2, would be asleep. That's the reality. Our day today, like in our time today, if it doesn't involve a screen or music or uh, activity or steps, who's got a, who, who counts their steps on their, on their watches? If it doesn't involve that, then we're, we're, we're basically sleeping. Might as well be dead. Right? That's actually impacted the way we worship. Do you know that? Because we should be excited by the reading of the Word of God in the house of God, in the community of God, right? And that's what the Ephesus church would have been. They would have been pumped and stoked about the new letter that has come from Paul. Why? Because it's not from Paul's intellect. It's not from his academic mind. It comes with experience. It comes with his life that was laid down. It comes with the fact that his faith was not just a faith that can be ridiculed. It was a faith that is actioned and tested throughout his missionary journeys. Do you know that? And lastly, the most important one, is it comes from the very Spirit of God himself. It's the reason it was canonized. It's the reason that we have it in the Bible today. Because we believe that it's the very breath of God upon those words that were penned. So that's why we should be excited if I said, let's read the whole book of Ephesians. But then we think, well, that's like reading the whole book of Leviticus. No one would want that, would they? Right? But the whole book of Ephesians, I get excited. I'm like, let's do that. But ultimately, ultimately, the word of God is not words on a book. The word of God is active, alive, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce and divide bone and marrow directly into the heart of the hearer. The Word of God is not this. It is the person of Jesus Christ. And the church of Ephesus would have understood this, that it was almost like they were communing with Jesus themselves. And this is why we should be excited about this. So this letter really comes as exciting to me. Now, who's ever glossed over the greetings in the letters before? You know, you, you open the letter and you're like, ah, the first two or three verses is just the greeting to the church. That's superfluous to me. I'm not, I'm not the church, so I'm going to just get into the good stuff of who I am in Jesus, for example, when we get to Ephesians. Do you know in the greetings there are some amazing truths that we forget often as believers? That we have to unpack. So let me read this to you. Firstly, Ephesians 1 to 2. This is what my whole basis of today's message is on. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. You could invert there or you could put into that place to the saints who are in Griffith. Because the word of God transcends time, location, 
title and even the church it was written for. The Word of God is written for you today. So for the saints who are in Griffith at Life Source Church today and are faithful in Christ Jesus, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? Who's excited by that greeting? Anyone? Margie's excited. That's really good. So the beauty of this greeting is that it speaks definitely to us. So let me get to the big idea first, and then I'll unpack the last three points. The big idea is this, that God's word transcends time, location, title, church. It comes for you today. It is not words in a book. It is Jesus. And when we commune with Jesus in the word, it brings life to us. And it lifts our countenance and it makes us walk as lights in the world. So this word is relevant to you. This word is Jesus. So there's three points really quickly I want to look at. Firstly, out of this greeting, what I see is that a Christian is a follower of Jesus. And you'll go, well, duh, Steve. I've been following Jesus a while now. I know what a Christian is. Or some of you may not have followed, made the decision to follow Jesus yet. And some of you may actually need to understand legitimately what a Christian is. Paul writes that we are faithful in Christ Jesus. Is that true? Now, let me offend a couple of you. A Christian is not known by how many Instagram followers they have on their page. Is that true? True, right, great. So a Christian is not, although they can be able to do, a Christian is not a follower of Instagram. You say amen to that at least. Yeah, let, me, let me offend someone's belly for a moment. Hey guys, heads up. A Christian is not a follower of KFC. Right? You see where I'm going here. The Christian is not the follower of a particular boss or a particular minister or a particular ministry overseas that has no input into your life. A Christian is not the follower of a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Like I said before in the first service, it's... uh, it's really funny because when boys fall in love for the first time, they're just like zombies. <laughs> boys, put your hands up if you know what I'm saying, right? You know it. Like, like, and if I'm hungry, like yesterday, I went and had KFC. Fat Friday on Saturday. Awesome. Awesome, right? That's what happens. We're actually led by the fleshly desires of our life. Is that true? But a Christian draws a line in the sand straight away and says, I'm not going to be led by the flesh. I'm actually going to be led by a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And he does so through the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Is that true? 
Yeah? So as a Christian, something else that you're not called to be, here we go, is a follower of the law and practices of the old covenant. James 2.10 tells us um, basically that if we break one of the laws, then we're guilty of breaking all of the laws, right? So as a Christian, you're not called to conform to a religious mindset. You're being freed to walk in the grace of Jesus Christ, overcoming the law, which was only written to be your schoolmaster. And I said in the first service, and I definitely offended one person, praise God. Hallelujah. I'm fired up about that one, I can tell you. I said in the first service, the, the point around Sabbath, for example. And I'm not here to ultimately offend you, but let's just put this into context. If we take the law of the Sabbath, we can think about this rest in a way that's not conducive to the new creation who we are in Christ. So if I put myself under the bondage of saying that I must fellowship on the Sabbath and meet with God on the Sabbath, on the Saturday and not on the Sunday, all of a sudden I've put myself back under law. Is that right? Right. But there's a few people like me that have got big bellies in this room. And I'm guilty of gluttony. Right? Right. That's the truth, isn't it? So if I'm going to put myself under the law, but then I'm not going to look after myself and going to eat, for example, pork, I am now guilty of the law, right? And therefore the judgment of the law is to come down hard upon me. Whoever wants to pull themselves under that covenant, I don't know idea. We live in a new covenant. It's called the covenant of grace. It was bought and purchased for us in the name of Jesus by his blood upon a cross at Calvary. We're not under law anymore. We're under grace. It's a very different thing. And I am thankful that I follow Christ. Amen? I don't follow a system or a religious order or, a, or an expression of worship that is irrelevant to me. Like I read Galatians a number of years ago, and I'd recommend you all go and read Galatians. That I've, I, like Paul is this serious when he writes Galatians. He says, if you put yourself back under that, if you put yourself back under the tyranny of the law, then I think you should go and emasculate yourself. In other words, go all the way and cut off your very manhood. Because he's talking about circumcision talking about cutting off that little piece of skin that should be there. And what he says is, no, go all the way. If you're going to put yourself under the law, do it to the best of your ability and cut it off completely. Whoa. Like, that is huge. Who wants to put themselves under the law now? No? Great. Hallelujah. Thank God for Jesus, right? I thank God for Jesus, trust me. I ain't going that far when it comes to my religiosity. Trust me, it ain't happening. Anyway, so Jesus is the one that a Christian follows. So when someone talks to you and says that you should do it this way, ask Jesus, is this of the law or is this of a spirit and mindset of grace? True? 
So Christian follows Christ. What about this one? Guard against false teachings. Oh, I've already touched on that. I told you that in Galatians. I've already jumped ahead. Anyway, guarding against false teachings, making sure that what we hear, what we read, what we do is from the Holy Spirit for us, that it comes from the Word of God and not false. Amen? And then thirdly, as a Christian, we are called to live separate from the world. Hmm. Even though we must live in the world, we should be living separate of the world. That's really hard, isn't it? Who struggle? Anyone struggle with that? Like, be honest, I struggle with it. I can tell you, I can put both hands up. Living in the world and, and, and wanting a new car is a nice thing, right? Living in the world and wanting a box of chocolates is also a nice thing. Yeah? But we're called to live in a light to the world, living in the world, not of the world. We're called to follow Jesus in a lifelong pursuit of sanctification. From the day you gave your life to Jesus and became a Christian, a Christ follower, we know I usually steer away from the term Christian, I usually say Christ follower, but I'm using the term because we all understand what a Christian is. The day we come, become a Christian is the day that we automatically become holy and righteous in the sight of God. It's called justification if you want to know and look it up and read about the doctrine of justification. I'm accepted because of what Jesus has done for me. He's made me holy and righteous. But it does not excuse us from the fact that we're also called to a lifelong journey pursuing sanctification. That's the journey of the renewal of the mind so that what we are as a reality in the way God looks at us becomes the reality so that everyone around us looks at us in that way as well. It's the journey of sanctification. And this is not an easy thing. It comes with a great cost. For example, Jesus talks about the great cost that family and friends will hate you if you become a Christian. Whoa, that's huge, isn't it? Who's lost a friend over being a Christian? Right? Time. Who's lost time serving Jesus? Who would, who would exchange that for time back? Not I, right? It, it'll cost you money. Who's, who's given to Jesus? Like, seriously, we've given to Jesus. It'll cost you um, your enjoyment, even though the payoff of being a Christian is constant joy. I'm not going to get enjoyment going to family funland all the time. I'm going to get enjoyment because I'm renewing the joy of who I am in Christ in my life daily. All of these things are a cost, but the payoff is far greater than anything this world could ever give us. It's life eternal. It's in the presence of God. It's this sense of being accepted, not because of what I've done, but because I said yes to Jesus. You know, Jesus promises that we, he will take us from darkness to light. He promises that he will, he will renew, he will take us from sadness and bring us into joy. He'll take us from poverty and into prosperity. He, he takes us from hiding into, and bondage and he brings us into a place where we sit at his table, exactly like the story of Mephibosheth that I shared almost a month ago. That, that he spreads a table before my enemies and I am a partaker of that. You know, that, that's an exciting thing for those who follow Christ. When we follow Jesus, we're called to leave the old life behind, right? 
So Jesus answers in John 18, 36, he says this, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Now, if you're a born-again Christian, what that means is you are born into the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying that you're not of this world. Right? I'll read you the second one before I read this one. The second one is... 1 John 2, 15 to 17, it says, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. These are the three temptations of Eve. They're also the three temptations of Jesus. These three, right? These three are not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So this is our choice. We can be of the world and one day perish. Or we can be of the Father and abide forever because of Jesus. Like, Is that good news? So why are we sitting on it? Why are we sitting on the world's best kept secret here? Anyway, the, the, the third one is this. A Christian is a follower of Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ. Who's been raised with Jesus? Who, who said yes to Jesus? I've been raised with Christ. Right? Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, I could have been tempted just to itch your ears and only given you verse 1 and 2 of that and make you feel good, but ultimately... This passage in context is telling us to put away these things. And it's written to a Christian church. Right? So these things are in the church. They might not be in this church, oh no. But they're in the church. And if they're in the church, then we've got to realize that we shouldn't be in the world. We should be, our eyes should be fixed on heaven. I I have that many conversations with people, with I'll just be honest, defeated Christians, people who are, uh, are walking around defeated in this life because they've chose to partner with the world and the lies that the enemy says about them instead of lifting up their countenance, lifting up their eyes to Jesus, looking upwards to heaven, where we are commended to look. It's, it's really hard to look at Jesus when I walk around moping like this, Right? or when my eyes are fixed upon my bank account, or when my eyes are fixed upon how I feel. My feelings lead me into sin all the time. But when I read the Word of God, and I'm renewed by the Word of God, and I worship God, and I read and and I allow the, the, the person of God through His Holy Spirit to impact my life, I lift up my countenance, and guess what the result is? I give thanks unto God, and gratitude opens the door for blessing in your life. Do you know that? 
When you lift up your countenance under God and you begin to thank God and praise God for what you're doing, the word says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. All of a sudden, a change happens in your life. And you're no longer a defeated Christian. You're someone that is able to walk in victory and power. Amen? So uh, the first point really is understanding that if I am a Christian, if I am loud and proud and bold about saying I'm a Jesus follower... Maybe not to the point where you're saying I'm a Jesus freak, but maybe we should all be saying we're Jesus freak. But if I'm a Jesus follower, if I'm a Christian, then my first thing I'm saying to the world is I follow Jesus no matter what. Hmm. Okay. Is everyone with me? Yep. The second thing is a Christian remains faithful amidst all circumstances. And uh, this is what Paul is commending This is what Paul is commending the church at Ephesus about. In his greeting, he's commending them for being faithful. Right? But I have to ask the question, thinking about his mindset, where he was. He was in prison as an apostle. That makes him a very, very important person in his time. He's there and he's at this place where he's being challenged And his life is on the line and he's commending the church for being faithful. I don't know if that's actually the reality. I think what he's actually saying here is he's reminding them to be faithful. You are a Christian. You are the saint, a follower of Jesus. Therefore, be faithful in that confession. Why would Paul say that? Because he knows what's coming. Persecution is coming. Is that right? Persecution is against the church because the world is against Jesus. Because Satan, who is the prince of this world, is against Jesus. Does that make sense? So Paul knew the persecutions that were coming for the church in Ephesus. Not that he knew exactly what would happen, but he knew that they were going to be persecuted. He knew this. And as, as he commends them, being faithful, just as Paul remained faithful even unto death. That's a pretty faithful Christian follower of Christ, isn't it? What about Peter, the Apostle Peter? Crucified upside down for Jesus. Or just go into our, our recent history, just the last 10 years, tens of thousands of Christians being martyred for their faith around the world today. Tens of thousands, like nameless. When, when you get, read the book of Hebrews and talking about those of faith, the nameless multitudes, those who, who, are, who, who don't give up, they hold on, stay faithful to the end. Like, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we're telling the world, firstly, that I follow Christ, and secondly, we're telling ourselves, no matter what comes, I remain true to my commitment and my statement. I remain true to the faith that Jesus has bought for me. And by the way, a genuine faith is a faith that is deposited in you by Jesus, which is not your strength anyway. I'll let you unpack that one for a little while. Paul knew what was coming. It's really hard today to sit in this country and understand the questions of will I follow Jesus when persecution comes? There's no 
persecution in this country the way that we're talking about here, is there? It's, it's a different persecution. And, and I've actually got to call it out so you understand what, that it is actually a persecution. It's a, different, it's, a, it's a persecution on your faith to erode your faith for you to give up on Jesus. Right? Because that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to give up on Jesus. It's really hard. Like, don't pray that the persecution of Saudi Arabia comes upon us, for example. Like, I don't want people running around here with AKs putting them against your forehead saying, do you believe in Jesus if you do, bang. That's not cool, right? But our persecutions are very different. Our persecutions are that we're led by the flesh. The Christians that are in persecution, they're not led by their flesh because they have nothing. They own nothing. They're not allowed, in most cases, they're not allowed to run a business. In most cases, they, uh, they have to, you know, pull whatever resources they've got together to try and survive. If they own a Bible, they're dead. If they're asked if they follow Jesus, they're dead. Like the, the persecution, there is, that, that's a real persecution. But your persecution is, well, hang on a minute. If your bank balance is empty tomorrow, you're under persecution. If there's no food in your cupboard, you're under persecution. Our persecution is actually really against the flesh and my joy and my desires and all those sorts of things I've got. The persecution that that I live in is this challenge to say that I am not of the world, I am in the world. So when when we are called to remain faithful, it's remain faithful in the trials of this life, no matter what it is that you're going through, whether you're rich or poor whether you're sick or well, whether, you're, whether you've got children or you don't, whether you're married or you're not, whether you seek love or you don't, whether you've received the things that God promised or you haven't, because ultimately the fulfillment is in Jesus who is your yes and amen. But it's really hard to go through those things in life, isn't it, when you've put your hope in a lot of that stuff. So remaining faithful means that you're remaining believing in the promises that God has given you and your church and your community. Amen? It says up here, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I said before who was in the world. It was the enemy. He's the prince of this world, right? But he was in you. Think about who's in you. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who is everywhere, but yet he's made you his tabernacle. That means he's made you his home, his tent. He meets with you. He, he helps us overcome. Now, the context in this is the false teachers. This, this passage is actually talking in context of overcoming false teachers. Now, there's nothing false, sir, that's not even a word, but there's nothing more false than the enemy who tells you you deserve this or you should go for that or you should pursue that job even though God's saying not to do it. Do you understand? It's a different persecution, but understand that you need to remain faithful in no matter what type of persecution you're walking through. And within this is a question. And this is the one I I want you to... You can take a photo of this if you want. If you can reflect on this over the next week, I think it will really help you unpack what I'm saying. The question is this. Am I striving to show myself faithful 
which is ultimately what I was addressing before, that works mentality. Am I striving for that? Or am I, from the position of faithfulness, expressing my love for Jesus to those around me? It's a different mindset. it's, It's a freedom of the new creation understanding that I'm not working for God's approval, but I already have it because I'm in Christ. Does that make sense? That God loves you because you are already hidden in Jesus. He loves you because he says that I I died for you. He loves you not because of what you've done, but because of your acceptance of him. He loves you because you are his creation. And from that place, you're able to outwork the joy of serving his kingdom. And don't get me wrong. It's really easy for me to say that you should work for Jesus. It's really easy for me to say that, but it's quite lazy, isn't it? You don't want me to be lazy in the way I present that. Because if I say, now you're saved, work for Jesus, you're going to think I'm a works mentality kind of person. That's not the reality is. The reality of this is this one point. Now that I'm saved, my life belongs to Jesus. See, salvation costs Jesus his life upon the cross, it's called the great exchange for a very important reason. It's the exchanging of his life for yours. I'm grateful Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Are you? I'm glad I did not have to die on a Roman cross. That would have been horrific. But Jesus died in my place. And now the life that I live, I live unto Jesus. Is that right? The life I live is because I died to the flesh and I live under Jesus now. And the works that I do don't come from a Jesus, I do this, I want you to love me more. The works I do come from the overflow of my heart, which is increasing in my faithfulness for him. So I share because of the overflow. I, I serve because of the overflow. I give because of the overflow. I don't give to get. I don't give to receive. That's the old way. I give because God is in overflow in my life. And the more I give, I can't outgive God. Does that make sense? Like, it's a different mindset. And we've got to be aware that sometimes our language betrays us. I'm nearly finished. Is that all right? Everyone's happy? We're all good? The last one is this. A Christian is marked by grace and peace. They're good words, aren't they? Do you know these words that are in this passage of Scripture? Look at verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from our Father. Isn't that amazing? That Paul, in his greeting to them, is reminding them that grace and peace is their portion from God. Let's look at this scripture with me. He blesses them. He says this in Romans 8. Paul writes, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Who's happy for that? I am, definitely. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Ooh, I don't like the disclaimer at the end of this though. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You know, Jesus promised us trouble in this world. He says, in this world you will have trouble. Like, for for real? 
But I thought if I was going to give my life to Jesus, everything was going to be sweet. It's not like that. I, I, I watch one of my brothers here, he shares on Facebook all the time about how he was bullied and ridiculed and different things like that. But since he's given his life to Jesus, it's probably gone up a notch. But he still loves Jesus and still keeps telling people about Jesus. And I commend you for doing that because it's ultimately amazing. Like, providing I suffer with Christ, we think straight away, oh, we're going to suffer in some tragic way. I'm going to get sick or someone's going to get sick or someone's going to die or, or someone's, you know, my bank account's going to be zero and I'm going to lose my job. Like, yeah, they're sufferings, but I don't think they're the sufferings Paul's talking about. I think the suffering really is this point, and it goes back to point two, that I've got to let go of my selfish way. Right? Now, I've been, through time, I've been through times of trial and testing and suffering. I've had some pretty horrendous things that have happened in my family. And you know what? Because I know Jesus, my faith is stronger today. Because I went through them. If I didn't go through them, I can tell you, that I would not be the person I am today. My confidence is found in the trial of who Jesus is for me in that moment, not because someone's handed me a big check. Does that make sense? Like, my confidence has to be in Jesus. And my suffering is actually me saying that I am partnering with Jesus, that I'm dying to my selfish ways, the ways of the flesh, so that God can utilize me in every way that he has dreamt about utilizing me. From the way he designed me, the gifts, the talents, the purposes that he's put into my life, the gifts, talents, purposes he's put in your life is exactly the same. But some of us have to suffer to get that. Right? But wisdom is learning from someone else's mistake. Or in this case, someone else's suffering. Like, we, we have this promise that the Heavenly Father, if we ask for wisdom, will give us wisdom in abundance. We can learn these things without having to suffer these things because we can learn from one to another. So that ultimately brings me to this one point. The only suffering is that I die to myself and my selfish ways. It's the only suffering that I have to endure. And if I learn that really quickly, my suffering is over and I have to learn to endure then the, just what life throws at me. But I don't do that alone. This is the good news for you in this one point. You don't walk through trials and temptations and sufferings in the li- this life alone. You walk through this with Jesus. That's why you're following him. No matter what comes your way, You've got an advocate. His name is the Holy Spirit who will never leave you, never forsake you. He's the Spirit of Jesus. He is there at a moment's notice. He will not ever, ever, ever fail you. Isn't that a beautiful advantage that we have? In fact, it's actually an unfair advantage. Do you believe that? That is an unfair advantage because your neighbor... The person that does not know Jesus has to walk through the exact same trials as you, has to walk through the very similar situations and circumstances of this life, but they don't know Jesus. But if they know you, then you can introduce them to the person of Jesus who, is their, who can become their hope, their ever-present help in the time of need, and the one who will help them overcome. You see, this is the point of the church. 
It's not about evangelism. It's about leading people into the encounter that you've been led into yourself. And if Jesus is that real for you, then you will not fear leading people to Jesus. True? You see, this is who we're meant to be. It's meant to be a life marked by grace and peace. Peace is a person. His name is the Holy Spirit. He's called the Spirit of Peace. And at a moment's notice, he can be a peace in the midst of your turmoil. I've shared that story before. And if you want to know more of that, have a coffee with me and I'll share more about that with you. He is your person of peace. He's also the Spirit of Grace. Grace is the, the ability to overcome a situation by using supernatural means. And Tim said earlier, to be supernatural is a work of God. Is that right? Can I have the band up? Is that all right? Are they here? Is there a band here? Yes. Hallelujah. To, to, it is the empowering presence of God in every situation that you and I walk through. Right? So, so when we lift up our eyes unto heaven, as it said in Colossians, we lift up our eyes, we're asking God to give us the strength to overcome the circumstances of our life. Does that make sense? When God, when God is your father, your life is in overflow. And it's only in the overflow that you will understand that God is really who he says he is. I don't know about you. I don't know why I needed to tell you this morning what is a Christian. There's three simple things that come from a very simple passage of Scripture. Two verses. It's a greeting that most of us would have read probably ten times minimum. Or just missed entirely. But this is who you are. Firstly, you're a person who follows Jesus. If you would set as concrete in your life today that Jesus is the one you have laid your life down, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that hope will be restored in your life and you will be able to endure. Stop following the ways of this world and begin to follow Jesus. Amen? When you follow Jesus, He instills in your life faithfulness that endures. It's not of you, it's of Him. Because it's impossible, I'll say this really strongly for you, it is impossible for the Holy Spirit to not have faith in the Father and the Son because He is one with them. And the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now abides in you. So for a Christian, it is impossible to not have faith. But the enemy still tries to erode your faith. And if he can, then you can walk defeated in this life. But when you walk in step with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, your faith increases. Because it's His faithfulness at work in your life. 
lastly, the Holy Spirit. He's active in your life because He is gracing you to overcome. And you can walk through any trial, no matter what it is, in the peace that God supplies. And I'm sorry, but there is nothing in this world that offers peace like God's peace. So I want to invite you to stand to your feet this morning, this afternoon. I invite you to just prayerfully reflect on those three things. And maybe close your eyes and just begin to thank God that He is with you. Let me ask the question. There's three benefits to being a Christian that I touched on today. Have you encountered them in your life? Because if you don't know the person of Jesus, then you're missing out on the very strength and enablement to walk in this life, overcoming what comes your way. I don't want to lie to you. The road is not easy, but neither is the road without Him. The road is open. The road is hard. It's rocky. And it's uphill. But Jesus promises that if we would give our burdens to Him, that He would carry them. Because His yoke and His burden is light and easy. And I would sooner walk uphill not carrying a backpack. I'd rather do that than carrying the load of this life on my own. So let me ask you today, have you called upon the name of Jesus? Have you asked Him to be your Lord and Saviour? Have you committed your life to Him and saying, Yes, I want to know you intimately in my heart. lastly, have you died to your selfish ways? Because Jesus is worthy of your life. He's worthy of your love and He's worthy of your yes to Him today. So church, as I look around, is there anyone here this morning that wants to raise their hand and say yes to Jesus? That they want to give their life to Him and say, I want to follow Him until the end of my time. Don't let this opportunity pass, but step forward and say, yes, I do. Raise your hand and say, I want Jesus. And I will pray with you after the service. I don't want to embarrass you. I will come and I will pray with you in person. And I will introduce you to the one whom is dearest to me. So just so I'm clear, just raise your hand high so I know that you want to say yes to Jesus today. Thank you. I see that hand. Jesus sees that hand, which is the most important. I see that hand. Jesus sees that hand, which is the most important. Because Jesus sees you. Thank you, Lord. Church, would you pray with me? And would you pray with those brothers who said yes to Jesus today? If you've said yes to Jesus, would you follow along and pray with your entire heart this prayer, believing it and actioning it with faith. 
Jesus, I come to you. And I acknowledge that you are God. Today I surrender my life into your hands. I ask for your forgiveness, for I have committed many wrongs. Wash away my sin with your blood today. And I ask for the Holy Spirit to come and live and dwell in me. I want to be born again. Fill me with life. Fill me with love. Fill me with devotion unto you. And lastly, I ask that my faith would never diminish. Jesus, I ask for your faith, your grace, your peace. I ask you accept me as a son. Just begin to thank God with your own words this morning. Those of you who have prayed that for the first time, just thank God for his salvation. For today you stand with God as a son. Today you say, I belong to him. Just begin to say thank you in your own way. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the Lord of our life. We submit and surrender our lives to you. And just as you're thanking, the worship team will just lead us in a song to close our service.